Welcome to Aesthetics Mastery, the brand new podcast to help you thrive and raise the bar in your aesthetics practice. I'm Dr. Adam Chong. I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Dr. Tim is a GP and founder and director of Skin Viva and Skin Viva Training. And Dr. Adam is also a GP, a clinical tutor at Manchester University, and uh, an aesthetic trainer at Skin Viva Training. Thank you, Tim. So, welcome to the show. Thank you. How did you enjoy episode one? It was um, one of the best hours I've ever spent with you, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment. Okay, so for those of you that haven't uh, listened to it already, we covered blindness and dermal fillers in the first episode, so please uh, go ahead and, and listen to that. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, cheeks, but before we do that, um, we're going to have the Pearl of the Week from Dr. Tim. So... Um, I had this written down. I've forgotten what it was. What was it? <laughs> I didn't even. I didn't have it right written down. That's my problem. Was it about um, bruising? Bruising, of course. Yeah. So, um, I always like to, if someone has a, a bad experience with a bruise, um, instead of just seeing them again and saying, "I'm sorry, it's one of the side effects," do something the next time to try and reduce the risk of bruising. And there are actually tons of things you can do to reduce the risk of bruising, but. Um, something that patients quite appreciate is if you lie there head down flat uh, on the bed and then with the blood then more likely to pool on their head you can mark on where the major veins are um, explain what you're doing obviously and mark on those veins then sit them back up again the vein blood should then drain from their head slightly and they should be smaller again and you should know where not to put an ejection which would in theory reduce the chance of a bigger bruise you might still get a small bruise which you should tell them um, but it's just one small thing that they can they really feel that you care about not causing a bruise as opposed to just saying it's one of the things that happens and they appreciate it great from your experience tim do you find that people that have had a glass of wine the night before bruise a bit more easily because clients are always telling me oh i've i've not had a glass of wine i promise yet they still come out with a bruise it's, it's interesting that one um Obviously, if you've, if you've drunk enough alcohol that you've put yourself into liver failure, then you're not going to be producing the enzyme, the, the clotting factors, mm. which is where I think it comes from, this perception that you've had some alcohol, a lot of alcohol. You know, alcoholics might bruise. We all know that from, from medical school. But um, uh, whether one glass of wine the night before causes it, the only thing I've thought possibly that could be related is that if you've had a pretty big night out but not put yourself into liver failure... Um, then I think the aldehyde that's part of what causes a hangover causes vasodilation and, and you might have more blood in your skin because of that. Because of that. But I don't think it's enough, if you think about the half-life of those clotting factors, that oh, one or two glasses of wine, even if, it was, even if it was a big night, I think you'd still have enough clotting factors. Um, but I'm, I'm not, those are just my thoughts based on first principles, so interested in hearing other people's points of view um, but I don't think a glass of wine. I think what happens is the clinicians blame the patients when they get a bruise and they say, well, have you had a glass of wine in the last few weeks? Mm-hmm. And as soon as they say yes, well, they say, well, that'll be what that'll it is. Be it, yeah. it wasn't because I stuck a needle into your facial artery. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, loads of questions just popping up while we're on this topic. What about uh, lip treatments and using an ice pack beforehand? Have you, do you have any experience with that? Or do you know if that potentially could cause vasoconstriction, therefore less bruising? Uh, so yeah, so um, my thoughts on that were, is it makes sense that it causes vasoconstriction and therefore it might be, if you did make a little hole in the blood vessel, it would be, there'd be less blood flowing through it and it might reduce bruising. The only question I'd have is, that does it slow the reaction rate of clotting to such an extent that that cancels out? I'm not sure. Um, 
I think just getting the blood vessels smaller would be quite helpful. So it, it might help a little bit. Um, I think I once, I mean, a long time ago now, looked for evidence on that and I couldn't, there was, there was one study that just didn't mm. show anything. Um, my experience asking patients about that is that if you, if you have a proper ice pack, it's quite unpleasant, they don't really like it. Okay. Um, and uh, so I basically stopped doing it over, over time, but not for very scientific reasons. I just, it just didn't really perceive the benefit. Yeah. Um, I think by far the bigger thing is getting your injections in the right level of the skin for reducing bruising. Because I know when I first started, uh, nearly 10 years ago to the day actually, mm -hmm. um, the bruising, I used to get much more bruising and I just thought that was normal and just through experience and honing your technique, it gets much better. Yeah. The only thing I can add to that from, from personal experience is making sure that you have a, a really good light and that you look very carefully, even for doing something as simple as crow's feet Botox. I found those, those days that I might be in a rush or I've just not bothered to get the lighting correct, I've caused a whopping bruise and then I've looked at them next time they come in, it's obvious they've got a huge, like, I called one lady's vein, Vin, Vinny the vein, it's <laughs> a massive big vein snaking through, um, snaking through there and every photo we took it was really obvious so obviously I was going to cause a bruise. And, so and of course that. as soon as you prick a vein it it contracts and the pulls and it looks so obvious afterwards it looks much more obvious than it did before so you look in the mirror and they think well how could you inject that vein it's the most obvious <laughs> thing on my face exactly yeah so look carefully beforehand so let's move on to cheeks then so in terms of why this is a useful topic to discuss then what, what, what do you think why is cheeks a hot topic at the moment um, well, cheeks are, the, I think for many people, they're that, the first introduction to realizing how integrated the face is, particularly from an anti-aging point of view, when you realize that treating the lateral cheek pulls up the nasolabial fold and improves basically the whole proportion of your face if you do the right person. Um, it's that first realization that you're, it's not just about lines and wrinkles. It's about the interaction between different parts of the skin and it's about beauty and proportion um, and I think when I first learned Cheeks, that was the, the eye-opening moment for me, was um, I can actually make people more beautiful and younger. It's not just about erasing a line, like with Photoshop, I'm actually restoring them. Um, of course, now the industry is much more led by beauty as well, so it's less how it was when I first started. It was much more about consulting people into it. Now people book in, for younger people book in because they think it'll make them more beautiful, which is a shift. Um, and there's less consultation involved less of a consultation skill involved in explaining the treatment when people are looking at a picture and just saying give me those cheeks so that's been a shift but um, for me it was that realization of both of, of real restoration as opposed to just a trick that you know removes a line okay so what's the difference between doing a real good consultation and understanding the aesthetics of the face compared to just like a conveyor belt um, you know version of of, of treating cheeks like why is it so important that we really address those aesthetic principles um, so it's it basically is realizing that you are the expert but that you're still solving your patient's problem so there are the two things I always think is um, the patient is the expert on them but you are the expert on aesthetics and if either one of those is out of balance you end up doing the wrong the wrong treatment so you might do the right treatment on the wrong person or you might the, or, or someone might book in for a treatment that this is the more obvious one is that the public books in for a treatment someone who's seen it before and after they think I want that effect they book in for it and they get it delivered to them without much guidance on whether it actually is going to suit their face so it's oh I want my cheeks done or my lips done without anyone actually saying yes that will objectively make you more beautiful and then the other side of the coin which is which is actually common 
the far other end of the spectrum in the industry, which is your, you know, your celebrity doctor who everyone swoons around. He gets to do whatever he wants to people's faces because he's, he's him or her. Um, and there's also not a consultation there around, will, will this actually psychologically benefit your patient? So the, the best consultations are in between those two extremes where the, the patient comes and asks you for advice. They may come asking for a treatment, but you take it back a step and you understand what their psychological need is. So it might be a young person who wants to blossom and wants to stand out and is looking for ways of being more beautiful, or it might be an older person who's looking to restore themselves. Um, but you then use your clinical skills and your aesthetic knowledge to design a treatment that will very specifically solve that problem, bringing them with you along every step so that they feel as a person they've been understood and the treatment is guided around solving those very specific needs. As opposed to you're 38 and suddenly that means you need to have all the treatment under the sun so that you look 27 again without actually that being the patient's goal, which is the other end of the spectrum. Okay, so you said just then about this thing of psychological benefit. Can you give us some examples where you feel that's that's the case? So uh, a, a good example would be... Um, someone who who books in not specifically for cheeks um but says something like i i just feel like i'm looking older or they often touch their face and this is a, a good little tip for the consultation is watch what people do with their hands because they'll often say i just want to i want to solve this line and they will literally grab their cheeks and push them back up so that they improve that line yeah. which is a really good trigger for you to say i can tell what you can actually you're actually indicating to me what the real problem is which is that you've lost that volume higher up and it's allowed your the the fold to appear but you're 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 not just delivering because actually what people do when they first start it they'll just treat the nasolabial fold because that's what the patient asks for so in a good consultation you're watching them you're understanding the, what the actual and anatomical differences in their face as they're aging so they're shifting fat pads and the and um, you know the lines and the creases that form but you're understanding the root cause of that and then you're designing the treatment around solving the anatomical and the psychological need all at once rather than just taking the psychological need and treating the crease and ignoring what the anatomy is. Um, so if you can combine all of those in your consultation, firstly, it's really convincing for patients. If you say, uh, if you actually in your explanation about your treatment plan say, I noticed that you touched your face, I noticed that you pushed back the, the tissue back to where it came from and you improved that line, you're associating that with looking older, which I agree is one of the signs of aging. If you think about what causes it, you give the anatomical description of the fat pads shifting position, and then you you describe how you can treat that, and then you describe how aesthetically that's going to make them look younger. So we're going to replace that fat pad, which will elevate your cheek a little bit. It'll project your cheek outward slightly. It'll restore some of that heart-shaped face of youth, and it should therefore make you feel younger and fresher, which is the thing that you've come in asking for. So you try and touch on the, the anatomy, the psychology, and, and the aesthetics in, in all your consultations and it, it feels really certain for patients because they think actually that's, that's hit from every angle I look at it it seems like a good idea to do that treatment Absolutely and it instills some, some trust in you as a clinician that you're not just seeing oh yeah let's do that one line that you've really addressed the causes of ageing Yeah, that really um, gives them some reassurance doesn't it um, on, on that note then so can you just talk a little bit more about what causes um the, the cheeks to age. So, how is a twenty-year-old's cheek different from a fifty-year-old's? Um, well, interestingly, I think it's probably that one of the first thing that goes if you look at a thirty-five-year-old compared with a twenty-five-year-old. Um, it's one of the first things that shifts, which is they lose the lateral component of fat. They still have it, obviously, but it's, it shrinks. And so, what was a more defined and projected cheek just becomes a little bit flatter, and their face shifts from heart shape to more square. 
and and there's often no wrinkle or line or shadow there's just a sense of just looking slightly less gorgeous than they used to i mean that's that's often what it is with um i think a, a lot of aesthetic patients um probably have are people who are relatively good looking who get used to enjoying that and then when they shift backwards from it there's a sense of i'm losing something please can i have it back again and and for a 33 year old you know it's often that small change in, in cheek volume and a small maybe a small nasal labial fold shadow um, and you can do what well, I often call it like a, it's like a little mini mid face lift, which is cheek and a little bit in the nasal labial fold, and it works really well. Okay. So, in terms of the anatomy and ligaments, though, can you can you talk a little bit about that in, term, in, in, in relation to our injections as well? So the the, the main ones that come into it um, in terms of complicating cheek treatments are the um, probably the zygomatic ligament. So the zygomatic retaining ligament runs across the cheek and it sometimes causes just a little shadow, a little break in the cheek. And often that's a presenting complaint. People come in and say, I've, I've got this shadow, what can you do about it? Um, and that is revealed by the changing fat pads. So your, the fat pad above the lateral compartment sh um, shrinks, then you've got your medial cheek, which usually stays the same and that shifts down often because there's another fat pad beneath it that gets slightly smaller. So that, that shift allows with it where the tissue is held onto the bone by the ligament, you start to you start to see that ligament, um, and you cannot then therefore restore that by by directly treating above it, sometimes below it, and a little bit into where the little shadow is sometimes. So combining those three angles will usually restore a nice continuous contour around the cheek, as opposed to that little interruption. Okay, so you said contour of the cheek. So. Um how, how do we know that we're not going to overdo that contour of the cheek as well? I think that's the key thing here. Like, what's the, the ideal aesthetic aim? So there are two uh, kind of different ways you can, you can look at it. In terms of a, a direct, your kind of almost two-dimensional image looking straight at someone, it's the angle of the cheek relative to the temple and the jawline, which is um, in uh, men and women the upper aspect. So temple to cheek should be around 10 degrees. Um, in men, it can be slightly less, more like 7 and then for the lower half, so between the angle of your jaw, your, your gonial angle and your cheek, um, probably around 15 degrees is quite attractive. 10 degrees is fine. In a man, you'd want it more like five degrees. Mm -hmm. if, if, your jaw, if your gonial angle is, is, is um, at the same point looking straight on as your cheek, that's quite masculine, which might, you might be doing on purpose in a man if you want to make, make them look more masculine. Um, but it's, it, that's the main thing from the side, is that whole face uh, look in terms of the, the shape of the head. It's what's the cheek looking like relative to the temple and the gonial angle is quite important. Okay. Um, the medial aspect is more about curvature and the nasal labial fold, and you'd like a little bit of roundness, and you, you definitely want to be removing shadows. Um, and, and kind of uh, the, a youthful cheek is, is quite gradually kind of rounded as opposed to having a flat section and then a, and then a sharp curve on it. Um, and you'll see that in very slim people, kind of uh, BMI of 18, something like that, that their cheek, you can see the, the shape of the bone and then it curves inwards medially and, and the, this connection between the, there should be basically a fairly straight line of tissue between your, the angle of your cheek and your oral commissure. And you'll, it's kind of a model look. If you get a super slim model, they sometimes have the shadow that cuts in and it can look great if you're 20 and you're, you're very pretty, but on anyone else it just looks a, it looks a little bit gaunt. And often you restore the, me the medial cheek to try and reconnect those two surfaces so that it just looks uh, a little bit more uh, youthful and healthy. Okay, so for our skin injectors that, that may have trained with you as well, is that part of the reason why we mark up from the, the oral commissure up to the 
um, the route of the helix. That's right. That's yeah, that's that area that we're trying to. It gives you a good because if you if you look at it's worth doing this. Actually, I, I learned a lot from aesthetics just staring at people. <laughs> Um, I remember because I went to London straight after my first course and I was just staring at people in the tube thinking, I, I better be careful, I'm just going to come across like a weirdo. But I was literally just, it was the first time I'd ever thought about what beauty actually is. And if you look at a really good looking cheek, you'll see that it tends to fill that space almost to the maximum. There's no, no part of the cheek flows over that line, but it does fill it right up. Um, if you overfill it, you start to look a bit saggy and it starts to look a bit dominant in your face. Whereas filling it to the brim actually looks really gorgeous and youthful. That's really interesting. So are you giving us permission to stare at beautiful women <laughs> in the name of aesthetics? Yeah, just just get a t-shirt that says, don't worry if I'm staring, I'm a professional. <laughs> Good. I like that. Good. I'll put that into practice. Okay, You've so got to stare at men too, though, because obviously they also uh, need beautification sometimes. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to leave that. So, <laughs> moving on. So essentially what we're saying is the cheeks um, should be the, the most lateral projection of the face. Um, but in males, less so. Um, why do people start to look false? Because sometimes you just look at, at celebrities that may have had what we would call a, a botch job, and for some reason you just know that they've had the cheeks done, it looks overdone. Now, wh why is that the case? Um, well, the, there's, a, there's, a, there's lots of reasons why they look false, I think. I mean, the, the key thing is those, those golden ratio points again. So if you remember the golden ratio, div you divide your face into, into fifths, really. So the width of your eye is equal to the width of your nose. And from the lateral canthus to your ear should be a fifth. But if you over-treat the cheek, it starts to become that your cheek is filling that lateral component. And the term I hear most is cat-like. And if you picture a cat's face, they have these very high up cheekbones. Mm -hmm. And it's just not a human shape. So our brains are so finely tuned to picking up what's healthy and natural. And it's a survival instinct, the reason we do it. Um, that it just it looks dead obvious from for anyone that it's been overtreated. The reason it happens, I think, is is partly because of looking for a quick the one fix. You know, I remember yeah. it being said when they came out when cheeks became a bigger thing. It's like, oh, everyone's into cheeks now, and the reason all your problems will be solved by your cheek. You can lift your jawline, you can lift your nasal labial fold, and of course, if you start to see the faces all being caused by the cheek, and you try and solve all your problems with the cheek, you're gonna it's gonna end up looking unnatural because the, we all know. Faces age holistically from bone, muscle, skin, fat, across the whole of your head, never mind just your cheek. And so, so solving all the problems with one solution is going to make people look odd. But it was a trend um, a while ago. Yeah. The other thing which I noticed as well, which I think you've already alluded to, but for example, the temple region, if you're addressing just the cheek, but someone's very slim and they've lost a lot of volume in the temple, is that another reason that people are going to look overdone or... Yeah, I think that's natural. That's a great point. And I noticed this um, at the face conference, I think, two years ago. There's someone someone was showing off one of their cases and and they asked everyone to guess how old she was and I everyone guessed older than, than he wanted <laughs> to say. <laughs> Quite embarrassing. Awkward. Um but she had no lines or wrinkles and mm -hmm. she had no and it really was a moment of me just feeling perplexed and trying to figure out what is it that's wrong. And, and I realized she'd had her cheeks were slightly over-treated, maybe not even that much over-treated, but she, it was next to an empty temple. And that's, that's very aging. And yes. um, you, if you actually, if you look at, once again, stare at people, um, you'll, you'll see very, very few people in their 20s with temple volume loss. It's a very aged thing. And if you place a full cheek next to it, it exaggerates it. Yes. So you can actually make someone look older by over-treating their cheeks. 
if you do it to a 28 year old for example you can somehow make them look older mm-hmm. but it's subtle isn't it it isn't something that people will come and say I need my temples filling so that's our job isn't it to really explain the, the science almost behind proportions and ageing and point that out to them but in a in a, in a nice way yeah and subtle way. yeah that's a really good point because that that's the hardest thing that we do is we, we we're having to tell people that there's more going on in terms of ageing in their face without somehow creating a psychological problem around that and, and for me it's once again going back to the what is their root aim what is their real thing they're trying to they're trying to solve if they're saying to you I want to look much better for my age for me that's an invitation to talk about the temple mm-hmm. I would lead into it gently if they're saying something different and they haven't made the connection in their own head with what their real goal is so they just say I just want my cheeks done because I think they're and you're starting to talk about temples there, unless you do your consultation very well, a percentage of people will assume that's just about you trying to ma- maximise the financial value of the consultation. So you've got to tread very carefully for because for me that is like cancer to my business. Like the idea that you lose trust and that you're seen as a salesman. So I will go overboard to make sure that every single thing is explained, so that when I get to the treatment plan, they're completely on board with everything I've said. We keep going back to consultation here. I think it's one of the, the key things, isn't it? Perhaps we could we could do a podcast purely about consultations yeah I love the consultation you're a GP as well so you'll you'll love the consultation now you you initially don't when you're GP because you're hammered with it but once you realize the power of it um, it's it's everything and everything hinges on the consultation we should definitely do that yeah that's great so okay so we've so far talked about the ideal cheek in terms of aesthetic beauty Um, just touched on the male versus the female cheek you mentioned the, the zygomatic ligaments in terms of the blood supply then what what do we need to be aware of as a very minimum in the cheek so the, there's a there's a couple of things one is underneath the zygoma you've got um deep temple arteries so if you miss the zygoma when you're trying to inject the lateral cheek that's that's a potential risk so we always say when we're training make sure that you make sure that you touch on the uh, on the bone and you know that you're touching on the bone that's that you know the zygomatic arch rather than what's underneath it um, and particularly in older women, the postmenopausal in particular, the zygomatic um, arch becomes very narrow and it becomes mm-hmm. very easy to miss. Uh, and that's, uh, I think Arthur Swift calls it tiger territory. You know, once, once you've gone, you've missed that bone, if you inject in that place, in basically it's part of the temple, um, but, but very inferior on the temple, that's particularly risky. Um, the other artery is the transverse, transverse facial artery, and that, that is, I think, relatively commonly hit. I know in our manual we've got this horrendous picture of someone who had a, a radius injected into that artery um, and the reason it happens is because we're trained to go onto the bone and when you get um, into people with lower face volume loss I think a percentage of people apply the same technique so they think well you're meant to go down and touch the bone but as soon as you're inferior to that to the arch of the, of the, of the zygoma you're right on where the transverse facial artery is and if you're going deep there that's a really dangerous place to inject and you'll get this area of necrosis in the centre of the cheek. Um, okay. So um, very important to stay on the on the outermost aspect of the bone, and that will protect you from getting that. And of course, always to aspirate. And when you're on the bone, keep the needle still. Aspirate with it being still, um, and you'll you should be safer. Immediately with the cheek, there's also the infraorbital artery and nerve. Is that, is that something that we have? should be concerned about absolutely yeah that's a good point um, so immediately you've got infraorbital and then even more immediately you've got the, ang- the angular artery um, we don't inject as much product there generally um, 
it tends to be a little bit superior to it and a little bit lateral to it, but it is absolutely, there are, there are going to be cases where people will be considering injecting there and uh, it's definitely a, a dangerous place to inject, so we want to be very careful around that area. When you mentioned about Tiger ch Territory, that really rings true for a, t a course I was teaching just last week and it was exactly that, the, as we went lateral on the zygoma to do some of those lifting points, um, the delegate just could not get stabilised on the periosteum and they weren't sure at first, they said it felt a bit, it felt hard but not quite as hard as bone and we kept adjusting and it was just that when I actually felt with the finger it wasn't a nice flat surface to rest the needle on, it had, it almost atrophied or, or crumbled. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's a challenging area to treat isn't it? Is there any ways that we can help to stabilise the needles you're going in or technique wise what, what can we do in that area? When you've got a very thin bone, yeah. um, I, it's, I, I still, it still happens to me. So it's not just an exp it's not just practice, but there are there are things you can do to help it. So I, I tend to run my finger along it and and map it out mentally, and then I pull the skin over it. And if it's if it's a little bit of reflective on the skin, you can normally see the most projected part of the cheek. And if you aim that way, um, that that's a little bit more likely to guide you to the bone. On other occasions, I switch the technique completely differently, so that instead of aiming for a deep injection onto the bone, I make sure I'm on top of the the arch but I, I enter more at 45 degrees and then I do little tapping motion to feel that I'm deep very still to make sure I'm not on the artery and then I, I'll aspirate and then do an ejection in, in a static position but um, that's it's an optional way of doing cheeks there's still there are people who prefer that to the on the on the periosteum one yes. um, but it's useful when you when you're struggling to find the periosteum brilliant that's that's a really useful technique okay um, so in do you want to talk a little bit more about the actual technique of, of how, we, how we're doing cheeks? So you mentioned that it's generally periosteum, down to periosteum on the, um, on the zygoma with an aspirate. Yeah, I think the, and this is true across the vase, when you inject on the periosteum with, with a nice thick filler like Juvenum Voluma or Juvenum Ultra 4, or any of the deep fillers that the product that manufacturers make, um, it's a little bit more stable there than if you're in the um, hypodermis and the fat. Um, and it in theory projects slightly better because you're right on a firm uh, surface and um, maybe lasts a bit longer, just holds its shape a bit better. So for the angle of cheeks, chins, um, maybe the gonial angle, noses have a degree of a similar thing. Um, it just It's more likely to give you the shape that you're looking for when you're looking for a, pro a projection as opposed to just filling a, a, a dip or a shadow. Do we need to mention anything about um, sort of specific points here or the, the coding, the CK coding points? Do you think it's uh, relevant? Um, yes, yeah, so the, um, the, the points that Allegantry teach the um, coding points and the Maritza de Mayo's coding points mm. and if you actually look at how these points are broken down, they're, yeah. they're, they're chosen to first simulate the, the shape of the zygoma. So CK2 is the angle of the zygoma um, CK1 is, is part of the arch where you'd add definition, that kind of flare, that beautiful flare that younger people have as your cheekbone um, flows uh, laterally. Um, and then CK3 is to replace the fat pad to give a roundness to it. Um, CK5 and CK4 are also related to, to blending in a cheekbone so that you're not, and also lifting, they also help elevate the nasolabial fold. But they're, they're part of making sure that you don't end up um, looking hyper-defined in that way that we talked about before as well as lifting they're just going to replace and give a roundness so that the, if you look at most kind of a, an 18 year old's face it, all the structures blend very gently one into the other there's no 
definite beginning of a cheek and, and end of it. It just flows um, nice and gently. And those, those CK5 and CK4 points are important for helping the cheek blend in and give it a roundness. Um, of course, you don't want to overdo that and have a complete roundness and not have the shadow underneath. There's one thing we've learned from the popularity of contouring is that a little shadow there is, is a really nice thing to have, um, but not too much of a sharpness. For those of you that are skin injectors that have been trained by Skin Viva, though, the, the CK points we're talking about are, are very similar to what would have been talked about on the cheek course here. Yeah, right. They've just got, they've basically essentially got numbers, um, so they're easier to refer to, but the, we call them uh, CK2, the beauty point, CK1, the lifting point, CK3 is uh, a volumizing point. Yes, okay. Um, Fine, so I think that probably uh, wraps up all that we have to talk about cheeks. Um, if you guys have any more questions or feedback about cheeks, then please let us know. I'm sure we can address them in the next episode. What have you learned about when you first kind of started and, and compared to now in terms of your of how you how you um, make people feel comfortable and, and connect with you? Okay, so the biggest thing, especially from coming from working as a doctor in the NHS, is that I don't have to start every consultation with, so how can I help you? because we're not time pressured as much as much. So it's really, really nice to just to ask people about their journey here, what they've been up to, they've got any holidays planned. Sometimes I'll chat for five or 10 minutes before we have to talk about that. It builds a rapport and I, I, that means so much, I think, to, to future consultations and how much they trust you. So that's probably the number one thing. Um, I totally agree. I think that moment of connection facilitate is basically you're building a little bit of trust they're more likely to open up to you and actually tell you what they really think yeah. as opposed to just being a little bit feeling a bit restricted I think it's a really good tip in fact it's what it's because obviously you trained me Dr Tim uh, once the one and it's it's the first thing I remember because I on my very first day here I brought someone in and I said so how can I help and you stopped me straight away and that's what, <laughs> that's what you said and, and it, it's just stuck with me since then and, I mean there's so many things I could talk about the other thing is um like mirroring body language so I find sometimes just people are very nervous when they come to, to discuss treatment so there are tiny little things you can do I mean I was I was listening to Tony Robbins talk about this the other day and it, it, it's just such a fascinating trick but it's how to build rapport and there are things you can actually do from the amount of eye contact you give someone if, if they're the sort of person that doesn't like eye contact then don't stare at them in the face but if they're quite intense with it then stare right back at them if they're leaning down on one shoulder like we're both doing now, so we're, <laughs> we're both leaning on our, on our shoulders, we're mirroring. Just do that, do that back again. And tone of voice, even the the speed that you're talking. There's so many things you can do to, to help build that rapport. So I, that's that's something that I'm using more and more. Yeah, I um I I love all that kind of thing as well. The only thing I would say is um be beware of 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 mirroring negative rapport, like uh, anxiety is the best one. That I've, there are so many times, and I've done this as well with people, that you feel, they feel anxious, it makes you feel anxious, and you both reflect it and you get more and more anxious together. Um, so uh, the, the ideal rapport is to, is to kind of, in fact, I think what um, Tony Robbins says is that you, can, you kind of make that connection with, with mirroring and then you, try, you can try and lead them. So once they're mirroring you, you try and do something different and you make, you, you know, if you sit more confident, confidently, they might sit more confidently. Yes. What you're actually doing is making them feel safer. Um, and they are, they're, they're reading you looking unconfident and then shifting into more confident and thinking he seems like he knows yes. what he's doing and it changes the vibe. So you can lead the mirror and kind of... Yeah, and you also reminded me what my, what my, uh, what my tip was going to be, but I'm not going to tell anyone, we'll have to wait. It's Aww. a really good one. <laughs> now, that I've, now that we've had yours. 
Uh, we'll do that next time if I can remember it. Yeah. And the uh, learning point for us is I'm going to write down my tips before... <laughs> Prepare more the podcasts. I just thought I'd remember them. Um, okay, yeah, let, let's do a whole, um, at least one or two podcasts on the consultation method. I, I think it's something we could talk about for hours. Yeah, we'll try and relate it to the injections because I know that's what everyone's most interested in. But uh, you don't get to do the best injections unless you're good at consulting. Absolutely. Well, thank you everyone for listening. So, this is Aesthetic Mastery. As we mentioned, there's episode one, which we talked about blindness and dermal fillers, so please go ahead and check that out. Um, we'd really like some feedback, um, so please tell us what we've done well and what we can improve on, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>